Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now, we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Glasses in session. Find Try This from The Washington Post wherever you listen. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. On this episode of Newt's World, in the spring of 2022, my guest Alfredo Ortiz testified in front of the House Ways and Means Committee and argued that minorities can overcome racial economic gaps through entrepreneurship. His perspective was in stark contrast to other witnesses who claimed the government needed to increase income redistribution to minorities to make up for the racism holding minorities back. In his new book, The Real Race Revolutionaries, How Minority Entrepreneurship Can Overcome America's Racial and Economic Divides, Alfredo demonstrates how and why minority entrepreneurship offers the best path to racial economic equality. Capitalism and entrepreneurship are the true anti-racist forces because they reward merit, not skin color. Ortiz explains how only in America can people from any background of any skin color succeed and uses his own life experience as an illustration. Here to discuss his new book, I'm really pleased to welcome my guest and my friend, Alfredo Ortiz, President and CEO of the Job Creators Network. Welcome, and thank you for joining me. Newt, thank you very much for having me. It's an honor. And for full disclosure to our audience, you and I have worked together on the historic tax cuts bill of 2017 through the Job Creators Network. You know, I think that was so historic. Do you want to just take a minute and talk about it? Yeah, absolutely, Newt. I mean, that was really a game changer for especially not only the economy, but our small businesses all across the country. We had historic tax reduction that really brought the income tax level down to a point where they could reinvest those savings into higher wages, more benefits, increased capital into their business. And really, I think what we saw the results of that was just an absolute booming economy in every single ethnic group, whether it was black, Asian, Hispanic, 
really did the best that they had ever done in history. And so that really was a game changer for our small businesses. And the primary things that we saw, not only was the tax reduction, but also the dropping of a lot of regulations that enabled them to succeed. Now, of course, this administration is pretty much doing a 180 on that. And our small businesses are really concerned about that across the country. Well, you know, it's interesting. Reagan and Trump, in a sense, followed the same pattern. Cut taxes, cut regulations, encourage people to go out and be entrepreneurships, encourage people to work hard. And both times it led to an economic boom. And it's kind of strange that the left just doesn't seem to be able to look at reality and look at the numbers. But I think you had a unique advantage in testifying and in the work you've done with the Job Creators Network. And I think it would help our audience understand your own background and how you got to where you are today. Can you sort of just share your biography for a minute? Yeah, absolutely, Newt. And this is, I think, one of the reasons why I really am passionate about this, because I am actually an outcome of that hard work, that entrepreneurship, that capitalism really has been able to thrive here in this country, thank goodness. You know, I was born in Chula Vista. I was a son of immigrants. My mom was a housekeeper. My dad was a tailor. They had a little tailor shop down in Tijuana, Mexico, actually. And so they lived right across the border in Chula Vista, California. I was born, first born here in the United States. But we were very poor still, even though we had a little business and my mom was the housekeeper, we were still very poor. And so on trash day, for example, Newt, I would go around with my mom and we would collect aluminum cans and newspapers out of the trash cans. We'd pop over to the YMCA and we cash those in. And that was our grocery money for the week. But here's the thing. She also was very entrepreneurial because she also put on the best darn garage sales in probably all of San Diego. And she knew exactly what to get. And she knew our customer base better than anybody. And so she always had these thriving garage sales. But she also did bake sales, craft sales. I mean, you name it, anything possible to make sure that we were able to make ends meet. And that's not to say that we didn't actually have some level of government support because I'm sure you remember at some point the USDA actually did surplus handouts of eggs, bread, milk, and cheese. We were actually recipients of that. And in fact, that my church was one of the distribution sites there in Chula Vista. But you know what? What she taught me was that you don't get something right at the very beginning. We would greet the trucks that would come. We would receive them. We would put the stuff out. And then we would distribute it all to everybody that needed. And only at the very end, once we did that, would we take our portion. And so my mom really gave me that hard work ethic and understanding that it's okay if you do need assistance. Because look, sometimes some things go wrong with us and things happen and we all need some assistance. So I never frown upon that. But the thing is that she says, if you're an able-bodied individual, you can still at least do something for what you're getting. And if you notice, Newt, actually amongst at least the Hispanic culture, which I know very well. You go to Los Angeles, for example, you don't see them begging on the streets. You see them selling chiclets and paletas and juices and oranges and flowers, you know, you name it, water. It's a culture of, you know, receiving something, receiving value for the value that you give. And so that hard work and grit and ethic is something that was instilled in me early on. And then I took that fast forward to, you know, succeeding quite well through the sacrifice of my mom in school. But really, having my own small two businesses in Atlanta, Georgia, I had a small construction company and I had a small consulting company. I sold my construction company and I also sold my consulting company and did quite well. But again, it was entrepreneurialism, this idea of believing in yourself and believing in your own skill set 
And that if you work really hard and you put, you know, everything that you have into something, that you can actually achieve that American dream. So I'm curious, your parents were very hardworking, but I get the impression that they really valued education. They did. Yeah. Yeah. My mom especially valued education. And I have to tell you, Newt, if it weren't for three educators in my life and my mom, I wouldn't be here speaking to you today. Three educators that identified somebody who had some talent and took a vested interest in me, both in my elementary school, in my junior high, my high school, and actually my college. And so I was the first one to actually finish high school. I was the first one to finish college, and I was the first one to finish grad school. And I have to tell you, first of all, you know, I really owe that to God because the path that he set in front of me was amazing. It wasn't easy. It wasn't easy, Newt, but it was set there, and I had people helping me, educators all along the way. So yes, she believed in education, and I believe in it as well, of course. Now, you became a small business entrepreneur yourself, but then you launched this national organization, which I've been with you in Arizona and elsewhere, and you really have a substantial impact at both the federal and the state level. What led you to conceptualize the Job Creators Network and to develop it? Well, of course, you know, our founder was actually Bernie Marcus, who really had his own amazing story. I mean, he grew up in New Jersey in the tenements there, also very poor, and was fired actually at 49 and had this great idea of creating a store that had a hardware store, a garden shop, etc., all in one place, hence Home Depot a few years later, which is now a thriving success, employs more than 420,000 people across the country. So he actually knows what it was like to be a small business owner. And under the Obama administration, he was very concerned about what he saw going on. And he swears still to this day that if he had to start Home Depot under that environment that existed under the Obama administration, he would have never been able to create the Home Depot. And so he was really the genesis of that. When he and I talked about me running this organization, I completely understood what he was talking about. And I had that same passion that he shared from this idea. So, you know, the past 10 years I've run this organization and knew it. I think we've known each other actually more than that. Because if you recall, when you had the great vision of starting the Americana 20 years ago, I believe, I was one of your original authors and speakers at those events. So I've always had a passion point for this, for entrepreneurs. And I have to tell you, we're not just doing this as Job Creators Network for Republican small businesses, right? We're doing this for all small businesses. I mean, there are 30 million small businesses out there that employ 60 million people, Newt. So that's 90 million hardworking Americans that are dependent on success or failure of small business. And so for me, this is a real passion point. I know we can make a difference and we work hard for all of our small business, whether they're, you know, left, center, right, blue, green, yellow, purple. I don't really care. If you're a small business, you get our advocacy. Well, and after the enormous surge in the Trump years, it seems to me, and you'd be a much more expert than I am, that the whole approach to COVID in some states with the maximum lockdown, which we now I think know was unnecessary. But the, the impact that had in crippling small businesses, and particularly places that had limited resources and limited ability to sort of last it out, to what extent in that sense, if we can distinguish them first, the impact of COVID and the way in which the public health over-responded, and then second, the impact of these regulations and taxes that are coming down the road on the Biden administration, how do those two impact small business from the peak it was at? in early 2020? 
Yeah, well, that was actually a tremendous impact for small businesses. And frankly, I don't think in history we've actually seen a more stark difference between the way the left operates and then the right operates. If you look as a collective, how all the states that were Democratic-run states and states that had the Republican governors, I mean, look at the differences, first of all, in employment. It was a massive, massive difference. Unemployment rates are basically half in those states and what they are in the blue states. And in fact, one of the biggest reasons I think we have this low unemployment rate is because of that. If you lopped off the Republican states, for example, unemployment rates would probably be double what they are right now. So thank goodness that the Republican governors in those states ran it the way they did. They found a nice balance between the public health and then the health of their economy and the businesses, and in particular, these small businesses. And if you can see, you know, whether it was Governor Ducey, Governor Nome, Governor Reynolds, of course, Governor Kemp here in Georgia, and then, of course, Governor DeSantis, everybody knows what he did down in Florida, which pretty much remained open. They were able to balance those two things and not have the public hysteria and misinformation really control that. And that really, really impacted our small businesses because if any business between large business and small business was most affected by COVID, it wasn't the large businesses, Newt, it was the small businesses. Many of these businesses had to close down and they did not have alternatives like a large company is. And many of these were, you know, your barbers or pizza places and stuff like that. They didn't have the luxury of going back to their homes and working from home. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. 
Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Isn't it true historically that small businesses create jobs and big businesses actually shrink the total number of employees? Yeah, that's absolutely right, because you have productivity at large companies, right? That's what they're looking for. They're always looking at productivity. If you look at, for example, a lot of these larger warehouses, for example, they're pretty much all 100% automated at this point. But small business collectively across this country create two-thirds of new job growth is actually in their hands. So when we really talk about where the jobs are, where that growth is, it's in the small businesses. And then if you think about it, you take a step back and you think about the impact that small businesses have on our communities. I mean, they're the backbone of our communities. They're the backbone of our country. I mean, you know, go on a weekend and go to a baseball field, go to a soccer field. And what does that scoreboard say? It doesn't say Bank of America, Citibank, Delta, Coca-Cola. I mean, it's Jay's Pizza Shop. It's Joe's Taylor Shop, right? I mean, they're the ones that support the community. And without our small businesses, we wouldn't have a country. I think that's right. And it's been part of the great strength of America. Now, you took these insights and this national experience you've had working with small businesses all over the country. And you then put it into, I think, what could become one of the most important books of our time, because it really cuts through the left's absolute misunderstanding of how progress occurs. And that's the real race revolutionaries, how minority entrepreneurship can overcome America's racial and economic divides. What led you to write the book? Well, it was interesting. So as you had mentioned, you know, in the spring of last year, 22, I did a testimony in front of the entire House Ways and Means Committee. And it was interesting because, you know, what I was really arguing was very different with the, what the Democrats, the Democrat members and witnesses, they really argued for more big government policies to overcome supposed structural racism that were holding minorities back. And I, of course, countered that, that reducing the hurdles to entrepreneurship actually, or having the government do less and not more, was truly the best way to empower minorities to improve their economic outcomes. They, of course, didn't like that, Newt. I have to tell you, they were very bothered, and it was actually very apparent. And in fact, I'm taking a couple of quotes out of their responses because I had many of the minority Democrat members making the comments back to me. They were troubled by the rhetoric and claimed that I was inappropriate and ignorant to argue that minorities can overcome their circumstances through entrepreneurship. Imagine that. I'm a Mexican-American that grew up poor, that actually went through the entire American dream to have my own small business Yet they were bothered by my rhetoric, and I was inappropriate and ignorant. How's that, Newt? <laughs> well, of course, the whole attitude of the left is you're not allowed to believe these ideas. So they can't debate you. They just condemn you. Yeah, and that's exactly what they did. And I remember the little back and forth that I had with one of the congresswomen where right after I had made my statements, she looked right at me, she made these comments. And I said, Madam Congresswoman, I actually am looking for an apology from you because you just called me ignorant here and inappropriate. She goes, I did not do anything like that. I said, ma'am, you looked right at me and you pointed at me. <laughs> What's interesting is even their own studies, there was a Congressional Black Caucus Foundation study, which found that the median net worth for black business owners is 12 times higher 
than for black non-business owners. So those black entrepreneurs who do break out and who do work hard and figure out how to be successful, they actually are now earning and saving far more than the average white household. Yeah, that's absolutely right. I mean, they are making more than their white counterparts. And so, I mean, if you just look at the data, and that's the thing that they do not like, right? It's that inconvenient truth, if I can use that phrase, where you present them with that data, then you're right. The only thing they can do is start condemning you and try to discount you in terms of what you're saying and say that you're ignorant. And Newt, let me tell you that I have been a victim of racism. I understand that racism still exists in this country. I remember. Oh, just about a dozen years or so ago, I was in Ohio. I was trying to buy a nice car, a luxury car, and I went to the dealership and he says, I'm sorry, we don't have a car for you to drive. I go, what do you mean? You don't have test drives? They're like, no, you don't understand me. We don't have a car for you to drive. So look, I've been a victim. I get it. I get it. It still exists. But I know that entrepreneurialism, and I am actually an example of that. My two small businesses launched me. My consulting businesses I sold to Sergio Zeman. And if that name sounds familiar, because he was the former CMO of Coca-Cola. And I'm telling you, that helped me get my career launched. And it brought in from there. And my construction company did the same thing. And so I know I'm proof positive that entrepreneurship does help. And I have to tell you, being in this role as CEO of Job Creators Network for 10 years, I have seen endless, countless minority entrepreneurs succeed, be very, very appreciative and successful of what this country has been able to do for them. Well, and interestingly, in ethnic analysis, the Federal Reserve data says that Latinos are 70% more likely to become entrepreneurs than non-Hispanic Americans. In fact, one out of every four Latinos plans to start a business within the next five years, more than twice as many as other Americans. Is that just part of the culture? Why is there such an enormous focus on entrepreneurship in the Latino community? I think it really is. I mean, if you think about, you know, some of the countries that these Latinos, Hispanics come from, some of them are from really, you know, truly socialist countries where they fled, or they may not have even had a business down there that got taken over by the government. And so they're very appreciative, whether you're Nicaraguan, whether you're Cuban, right? And you come here to the United States, here, small business is celebrated overall. Probably not enough, in my opinion, because given the tremendous impact they have in our society, they really should be appreciated more. But overall, in some of those countries, actually, if you fail, because look, we know that success rate of a small business is actually probably in the single digits. A lot of small businesses fail, right? And I had a couple of small businesses myself that I started and failed, right? But overall, this country adopts and embraces taking that chance, taking that risk. And you're looking upon as a hero. And some of those countries that some of these minorities came from, that's actually not the case, right? That's what we found in our research, that it's actually, if you fail, that's actually an embarrassment. We're here, you know, it isn't. And people do appreciate that. And frankly, people love an underdog. And I think small businesses are viewed in many cases by the average American as underdogs. In fact, we did a poll with Scott Rasmussen, that asked Americans, which institution in this country do you trust most? It was like the military, small businesses, politicians, the media. Surprise, surprise, politicians, media, et cetera, were very, very low, if almost negative. But at the very, very top was military and just, you know, at about 78%. And just about two points under, 76% was small business. 
And so in this country, small businesses on the average American are truly embraced and are appreciated. It's the government that really doesn't appreciate that. And in particular, it's the progressive, it's the Democrats that don't like small business. And my hypothesis on that, Newt, is because it represents everything that they hate, everything that they detest, right? Freedom, capitalism, independence, right? What they want is more control, more power, and the government to tell you what to do and control you from cradle to grave. If you believe in a control-oriented big government socialist model, then small business terrifies you because that means people are independent, they're self-reliant, they're producing their own income, they don't need you. There's a very interesting struggle between a class which wants politicians and bureaucrats to run everything and the average American who wants to be basically left alone. And I think that's one of the great struggles of our time. You talk about, and this is something I've talked about in the past, the differences between Booker T. Washington and W.E.B. Du Bois on the best way for black Americans to attain racial equality. I think this was one of the most important debates and is still, in a way, an ongoing debate. But could you describe that a little bit for our listeners? Bottom line is what we're seeing today. We believe that you know free enterprise and entrepreneurialism really is the better way to achieve racial equality, whereas Du Bois believes the opposite. And in this particular case, I mean, it actually, I would say, is kind of the precursor on that side of the Democrat Party. And Booker Washington Moore is the precursor of what we do now, which is we do believe in that hard work is the ultimate way of achieving economic success and racial equality. But again, the Democrats just don't believe that, right? They always believe that government intervention is the answer almost for everything. What's that old saying, Newt? If all you have in your toolbox is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. I used to say that the liberals got up in the morning, they go, the answer is more government. Now, what was the question? Right, exactly. And that's exactly right. And so, look, I mean, we saw, this is not a hypothesis anymore. We saw this from the Tax and Jobs Act. We saw this in the Trump administration. When you have that environment that promoted free enterprise, that promoted capitalism, that allowed small businesses to thrive for lower taxes and lower regulation, we saw the success that it had. And Newt, I know that you and I, at the end of last year, we actually launched the American Small Business Prosperity Plan, which is eight points, which I think are very achievable points. And we're looking forward to working with the new Congress and getting those achieved. But I have to tell you, one of those, if you remember, is actually what's called Sabrifa reform, actually, that we're looking at doing. Sabrifa is just basically a really fancy term, but it basically says that certain agencies are required to actually show the impact that some of the regulations are going to have in small business. Actually, not many of those agencies actually go through with that, interestingly enough. Well, guess what we're going to do? And if you remember this, what we're recommending, of course, let's turn that on its head, right? Let's turn that argument on its head. And let's actually say that going forward, all new regulations, small businesses are automatically exempted. The onus is on the agencies to prove that they should actually be included in that regulation. I think that's a game changer for our small businesses. I think that's a brilliant idea because, for example, the vote that just literally happened where they repealed in the House the 87,000 new IRS agents. And there's no question in my mind, the overwhelming bulk of those agents are going to harass small businesses. Absolutely true. I mean, I don't even know how these Democrats can say with a straight face 
that small businesses weren't the target. I mean, if you even think about that one rule that got pushed aside for one year, the $600 or more reporting, I mean, really, do you think like, you know, Bernie Marcus is actually going to be doing Zells for $600? I mean, this is small businesses that were completely going to be impacted by all these regulations and also the Inflation Reduction Act, right? The elements that are included in there. These are all targeted to the small business. And thank goodness that we repealed the funding for those 87,000 agents because you're absolutely right. The only targets were going to be small businesses because guess what? They don't have the resources to fight back. So all they can do is pretty much roll over and pay. Even though they were right or not, they're just not going to fight the federal government. You know, really big corporations have entire sections of lawyers. So General Motors or for that matter, Amazon, they can play games with the federal government all day because the lawyers are already on staff. But if you're a small business, it crushes you if you have to get in a running fight. Plus, it takes your personal time. And one of the things people don't realize is if you're a very small business, you're the person filling out all that federal paperwork. You're taking time away from earning a living to basically working for the federal government for no fee. I remember when we were a few years back, we were on the Bring Small Businesses Back tour. I was out in Chicago and I was talking to a Hispanic grocery owner. And he was telling me that the new regulations cost him about $120,000 a year to keep up with compliance. Think about that. And you know what the margins are, Newt, on the grocery store? About 1%. 1%. And he had about $120,000 of annual costs just to hire people for compliance. In your work with the Job Creators Network, what's your sense of the impact of legal immigrants on entrepreneurship in America? Newt, it's absolutely huge. I mean, it's something that across the board, if you look at all the small businesses, the sheer majority of small businesses in this country are minority owned. And it is from legal immigrants that come over. You know, illegal immigrants is a separate topic, but the legal migration over really has been something that has been the cornerstone of this country. If you think all the way back to Italians, the Irish, etc. I mean, it has been something that has been huge. We worked very closely with an organization called the HOA, the Asian American Hotel Owners Association. It is an amazing organization of Indian Americans that came over from India that know what the caste system is, know that there is no middle class there, right? It's really an elite class and a lower class. They left there, they come here, and they see all the opportunity there is in this huge, booming middle class that does exist here in this country like almost in no other country exists. And they know that they can apply themselves, they can apply that hard work, and they can achieve anything here because they have the abilities and they actually have the opportunity that becomes them. You know, you were talking earlier about the governors during COVID. We actually last year launched a project called the Great Opportunity Project, GOP for short. That's our humble attempt of redefining the GOP from the grand old party. We're calling it the Great Opportunity Project. But that's really what this country is. It's creating opportunity. And migrants that come over here understand that that opportunity exists for them and they can work hard. It's not easy, but they all know and appreciate. We heard you know, the story of a 7-Eleven owner that was a minority out in the Midwest that got his start. He was a legal immigrant, got his start literally being a clerk at the 7-Eleven and today owns an entire 7-Eleven himself. And so there are stories, endless stories like that, Newt. 
You know, I've talked to the Asian American Hotel Owners Association. About 3,000 people were there. And it was amazing. I think they have 40% of the hotel rooms in the United States. And they're passionate about the rule of law because they've seen in a number of countries, particularly in Africa, where the Indian entrepreneurial class just literally had everything stolen. And so their passion about enforcing the rule of law, maintaining safety so that you can earn a living, own property, not think some politician is going to rip you off. It was very compelling to me how profoundly conservative they were in the best sense of the word. Yeah, it really is. And in fact, a few years ago, remember when we took on the fight with the National Labor Relations Board for the whole joint employer stuff, which by the way, Newt, we got to do that fight again, you and I, because it's come back. It's come back around. They're trying to bring back joint employer again. But that was really going to devastate the franchise industry, which by the way, the franchise industry is the number one way actually that minorities have been able to enter kind of that American dream through franchises. So it's very, very important that we keep that franchise model the way it is and not change it to what the way the Democrats want to do. But we had actually in Tampa and other local cities, we actually had local demonstrations at the local NLRB offices, which I have to tell you, Newt, completely freaked them out because they've never seen conservatives and business owners actually protest with actual signs. But guess who showed up the most in mass? The Asian American Hotel Owner Association members. And I asked them why. And they said, because we saw in India what happened, right? When the government takes over, we lose the entire middle class. And we don't want that to happen here. There's a lot happening these days. But I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, 
Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. One of the fascinating things you talked about was Madam C.J. Walker, who was a black entrepreneur who became the country's first self-made female millionaire way back in the early 20th century, which is really amazing because I think she was born shortly after the Emancipation Proclamation and the first in her family not born into a life of slavery. Why did you pick her and what lesson do you learn from her? Well, it's just really interesting, right? Because, yeah, she was a slave at one point and right after the Emancipation, she decided she had this great idea for hair products targeting the black population and Frankly, it's one of the biggest ones to do that now. But she had that vision. She had that insight and belief in herself that she could do this. And I actually have a poster in the other room of one of her products because it reminds me that no matter what the circumstances were, right? Yes, they were victims of slavery. I get that, right? But after that, right, you have an opportunity in this country to break free from that and use entrepreneurialism, right, to change where you came from and create a whole new destiny for yourself. And I think she was just a great model of that belief. These are not the stories the left wants to tell. Oh, yeah, no, not at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She's not going to feature in Black History Month in a left-wing course because she's successful. And she's an example that hard work and ingenuity actually gets you somewhere. Walk us through the American Small Business Prosperity Plan. Just outline the key parts of that plan for our listeners so they can understand what they should be talking to their House and Senate members about. The main provisions of the Tax and Jobs Act that impacted small businesses was the tax reductions. But those were temporary and expire in 2025. That's not a lot of time for small business owners to really start planning, right? So we need to really push to make that a permanent tax deduction. And frankly, I would actually even like to go a little bit more and try to see if we can get them further reduced. But we have to make that our number one priority. The other one we take great interest in is the whole Sabrifa reform, turning this entire idea of regulations basically being such a burden on these small businesses. If you think about Dodd-Frank a few years ago, 1,700 community banks knew went out of business because of Dodd-Frank because they couldn't stand the regulation that caused. And guess where those community banks mostly lie? In minority communities, right? So access to capital is another one that we address in here is really critical. And fintech is something that Democrats are really attacking here. And we need to make sure that that thrives because with community banks gone, it's just harder and harder for that credit to be extended to minority small business owners. You and I also talked about something that I know you're passionate about, which is basically a work requirement if you're receiving government aid. And I think that's something that can really help address the worker shortage issue across this country, because that is something that we need to address. And I think this work requirement thing is something that I completely embrace. I told you my little story about my mom and I at our church. That's the work ethic that I think we should be able to instill once again. And unfortunately, by the way, under this administration over the past two years, that great American work ethic that really was, I think, the beacon of hope, so to speak, across the globe, that has been destroyed. And we need to make sure that that comes back. Fighting China from a supply chain issue is another, another major component 
that we need to talk about because that is something that we need to be able to address and bring back this critical supply chains back here to our country. And that's one thing, Newt, that I was very disappointed with the CHIP Act because while that was bringing back production of semiconductors back to our country, there was very, very little opportunity in that bill for small business owners. There should have been an allocation or something that allowed for small business owners to be able to participate in that move of bringing production back. Another one, which you and I have talked a lot about, is healthcare costs. Healthcare for you is a project that we had worked on, and I know you had worked on with us as well, to try to get something that's more doctor-centric and that maintains the patient-doctor relationship but does it in a way that's actually affordable for our small businesses. Because right now, it's completely unaffordable for our small businesses. It costs about $27,000 a year for an average small businesses to actually have healthcare provided for their patients. These are the primary items that we want to address. We have three others that are in there as well. But for me, this year, those are our priorities. I look forward to working with you. I'm actually encouraged by the opening steps of the new House of Representatives. We have bigger challenges in the Senate, but we also have some really interesting opportunities because there are so many senators up for re-election in 2024. So I look forward to working with the Job Creators Network, and I recommend to all of our listeners to get the real race revolutionaries, how minority entrepreneurship can overcome America's racial and economic divides. It'll be on our show page at newtsworld.com so everybody can order a copy and tell their friends about it. But I really commend you for the hard work you're doing at Jobs Creator Network and the innovative ways you approach this and communicate. And I want to thank you for joining me on Newt's World. Well, thank you very much, Newt. Again, it was a great honor and really appreciate it and look forward as well to working with you and getting the job done. Thank you to my guest, Alfredo Ortiz. You can get a link to buy his new book, The Real Race Revolutionaries, How Minority Entrepreneurship Can Overcome America's Racial and Economic Divides on our show page, at newtsworld.com. Newt's World is produced by Gingrich 360 and iHeartMedia. Our executive producer is Garnsey Sloan. Our producer is Rebecca Howell, and our researcher is Rachel Peterson. The artwork for the show was created by Steve Penley. Special thanks to the team at Gingrich 360. If you've been enjoying Newt's World, I hope you'll go to Apple Podcasts and both rate us with five stars and give us a review so others can learn what it's all about. Right now, listeners of Newt's World can sign up for my three free weekly columns at Gingrich360.com slash newsletter. I'm Newt Gingrich. This is Newt's World. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. 
Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.